1: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome
2: Welcome to to Speed Speed City City with with
3: John John Massingill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green.
0: It's the fastest hour on the radio. Speed City. Good evening, GearHeads. Welcome to your Sunday night with Speed City. We are going to talk about the incredible craziness that happened at the Formula One Japanese Grand Prix last night. We didn't get to do a post-race show last night, so effectively, this is our post-race show for that. This is John Massingale sitting in the studio in Austin, and I'm joined over Zoom by my cohort, Les Kaiser, and our special guest for tonight is former Haas F1 team manager, Dave O'Neill. How are you, gentlemen? Dave, start with you. How are you, buddy? I'm very good, thank you. I've
4: been um, reasonably busy today at Cota. Um, strangely enough, watching all the setting up for the American Grand Prix that's coming in, in in 10 days'
3: time. So quite quite interesting over there.
0: Well, it's always a good day when you're out at Cota. What about you, Mr. Kaiser? How are you? Hey,
3: I'm doing well. Uh, Ignore the uh, background screen. I'm actually in Los Angeles. Been hanging out today with all the Porsche family at the Luftekult 8, Patrick Long's big, uh, very exclusive Porsche festival. And uh, it's been a great day.
0: Well, of course, the mayor is out at the exclusive festival. So, of course, that's (laughs) appropriate. But
3: yeah, there you go.
0: Well, guys, there's so much to talk about. We have a new driver's champion, of course. Max Verstappen is the 2022 driver's champion. And, of course, that that was not known immediately after the race, and we'll talk all about that. <laughs> uh, that was fascinating. Uh, the race was uh, rain-delayed, rain-demolished the entire time. The rain just poured down for most of the race. We're going to talk about the crazy tractor incident that scared the heck out of everybody, uh, starting with Pierre Gasly, because it reminded us all immediately of 2014 Jules Bianchi, because uh, when you have a tractor on track and there's cars running at pretty much race speed, that just is not a good thing. So we'll talk all about that. And, of course, we're going to talk about the USGP that Dave just mentioned because Formula One is coming to town. The next stop is right here in little old Austin, Texas. So, yeah, buddy. Yeah, we are, are getting fired up. So, well, Dave, you were just out there, man. As uh, what exactly were they doing out there? Were they putting a fresh coat of paint or what?
4: Um, pretty much, uh, they'd started on the painting, but certainly all the pits and the paddock area. Um, it, it's a it's a mini city, I would say, that's going up um, along with the Christmas lights as well. I saw they started on those as well, but the uh, the paddock. Um, all the hospitality areas behind the garages. Uh, all the garages have been painted, um, and then directly behind the garage doors, they have all the hospitality area, which is the tent, tented city AC tented city that's going up, um, and then all the other, I guess, departments that are involved in the in the Grand Prix, the TV compound that was been erected, um, the tire area for Pirelli. Um, mm-hmm the The food area for the paddock club, which is huge. If you can mani- imagine how many thousands of people go through there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and the amount of people they have uh, there to service all the all the meals and drinks that are going on for the good time of the American Grand Prix.
0: Yeah, that I, when you said TV Kanban, that really uh, I paused there in my mind because that is a phenomenal piece of uh, remote roving technology. That center is. It looks like a data center. If you've ever been to a one of those crazy data centers with racks and racks of computers, it looks like that. It's crazy, but well, that's exciting. There's lots of new stuff this year, including a new five lane road to get in and out of Coda, which is probably, from a fan standpoint, one of the big things that you'll be excited about to get be able to get in and out of there. There's uh, there's all sorts of new there's like new hospitality suites up right there at Turn. Right, between two and three sitting up there at the top there. Les, you saw that when you went out there, didn't you? Absolutely.
3: You know, uh, one of the things that I was talking to some folks this week was be sure and check out the venue map because some of the general admission areas have changed uh, a bit and they're impacted by these new added grandstands. Uh, That's because of the demand. The sport is just, you know, mushrooming and growing so big the grandstands are one of the best ways to get more people in to uh, see the event the The demand is there and, and still growing so well, make sure you know where uh gas are and scout them out first day or two and then pick your race spot to be there early sunday
0: yeah and there's the new infield stands at coda that i uh, jonathan and i went and looked at those and they were um they're just after turns three to five like right as you as you turn right to go up the hill on turn six there those are cool too so lots of new stuff out at circuit of the americas for usgp and of course we're going to be out there we'll be on the microphones and of course we're going to be doing our radio broadcast you'll be able to hear uh the play-by-play of the we'll have a pre-race play-by-play and post-race we always have our pre and post-race shows that we do on national radio and of course but for austin we do our own play-by-play that you can hear right here on talk 1370 in austin and of course on their website too uh streaming. So we're looking forward to all of that. But gentlemen, I, I want to go straight to the Japanese Grand Prix because it was um, it was crazy. There was at at first I thought it was just gonna be a complete debacle. We weren't even gonna get to finish the race, but we got to finish the race and there was some actually some interesting racing going on. But it started off uh with we were not even sure they were gonna start the race because we thought we were gonna get another Another rain delay, but the start of the race, they started everybody on inters, intermediate tires. And we were having discussion right before that on the pre-race. And I was thinking, are we really going to be on intermediates with this amount of rain? And more importantly, the amount of standing water on Suzuka? Because there was plenty, as we found out, not long afterwards. But uh, yeah, we started off and we got not even two laps in and the wheels came off, literally, because the big thing that happened was, um, of course, Carlos signs aquaplaned into the barrier exiting the hairpin, and then Gasly <laughs> ran into an advertising billboard and was advertising for Rolex uh, on the front of his car. It looked like a replacement nose cone. That was pretty crazy, but it, um, it, it right after that is when the Gasly incident with the tractor. But before we get there, I do want to talk about some of the racing that was going on before that, because right at the start, the, uh, you know, Verstappen was on pole and Leclerc on the front row with him, but Leclerc had a nice jump out ahead of him and, and got probably what, about a half a card length less. It was something like that. The, I, I wrote down the zero to hundred kilometer times. Leclerc hey. was three, seven, four and, and Verstappen was 4.1, but he had, he, I thought Leclerc was going to take him. Didn't you, Les? Absolutely. I mean, they were
3: out there, you know, Leclerc looked like he had enough that he was going to be able to hold him off through the first turn series. But in actuality, Max did what Max does and he hung tight and he went took the long way around the outside set him up for subsequent turns and pulled out. But, uh, you know, Max was behind it, but, uh, you know, it, it was really exciting because of all the moisture on the track. I was truly expecting Max to just to lose it and go off and it was gonna be over right then. And then our championship gets extended. I thought it was gonna be over right there at the beginning.
0: Well, speaking of over right at the beginning, the driver of the day, I think this was an emotional pick by the fans, was Sebastian Vettel, and he did not have a good start because he took off and got ahead of Alonzo, who was right in front of him, and he went around on the left-hand side, but he ran out of pavement. There was grass, and he was, and he in, ended up eventually bumping with Alonzo pretty good and spun off the track. And I thought, oh, no, this is not what you want to see with Vettel's last trip to Suzuka. But he ended up um, spinning that car around. In fact, he did a great job. Did you see this? He was driving backwards. And he was purposefully driving where he was going backwards, waiting for the momentum of the car to slow to so where he could turn the car around. So that was cool to watch. But but Dave O'Neill, I want to go to you because you know the history of Vettel at Suzuka and how he just absolutely adores that place. I mean, you you most drivers are so politically correct and they say something like, "Oh, this is one of the greatest tracks." And they say that about every single one, but Vettel was unabashedly saying this was his favorite track. Yeah, I think the um and good reason
4: to as well. The um the the track is very very special. Um, and in order to be one of the great drivers, you need to be very quick there and and take polls and wins um, and that he has done. Um, but, yeah, the, I think it's not just the track, it's the people. Um, when you come into the circuit in the morning, um, you have hundreds, maybe thousands of people queued up in orderly fashion. Um, no one pushing anyone. Um, they all wave, wave to every car that comes in. Um, and of course, the drivers stop. Um, do their autographs and you know sign hats and toys and all mm. sorts of things that are, are stuck in front of them. but yeah it's a very special place um completely different to anywhere else but the, the track um, when I was doing the grand Prix was a place that we used to run in the evenings. Um, and it's mm. very difficult difficult to gauge um, the elevation there. you know going down to turn one you can get quite a lick of speed running. Um, and then once you're halfway through, um, going around turn one, the horseshoe part of it, it starts to go, you know, you get a raise there. And of course, um, the cross, the track crosses over each other. Um, I think it's turn eight. Um, and then you go out into the country a little bit and then you do the, um, 100R, um, which which again is another very, very fast corner that goes on and on and on. Mm. Um, so very special, um, lots of elevation there. Um, but of course the weather plays a huge part in that track just because it's kind of typhoon season. Um, and, uh, yeah. you have to deal with all those, all, all that sort of, uh, the weather and, and drainage is typically pretty good, um, there, but what they have done in the past few years is cut, cut into the circuit. If you can imagine sitting in a plane, looking out on the runway, you see all the grooves in the runway before you take off. Um, There's a lot of areas on the circuit where they've cut into the circuit for drainage purposes um mainly after you know around about 2014 so um pretty pretty special place um gets dark pretty quickly as well that time of year
0: yeah they were talking about that after the the uh the delay there in fact christian horner was one of the ones that said it first he said you know this he said sunset's about 5:30, and about at about 4:30, we're probably going to run out of light in those conditions because it was so rainy and cloudy so well dave i want to ask you um uh we got to take a break but i want to when we come back i want you to talk about what you were doing at haas to prepare for suzuka for suzuka for the team for the cars and all that you're listening to speed city back after these messages
1: conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
0: Hi, this is Max Steppen and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio. Speed City. All right, welcome back to your Sunday night with Speed City. We are talking the Formula One Japanese Grand Prix, and our special guest tonight is, he's actually a regular on the show. He's just not every single show because he lives right here in Austin, Texas, is Dave O'Neill, former team manager for the Haas F1 team. Helped get that team off the ground and do some amazing things in their first couple of seasons. What were you going to say, Les?
3: I was going to say, you know, we know him for that, but uh, what you folks in the audience may know is Dave is still kept incredibly busy taking care of some of the most racing, amazing race cars around. I mean, uh, drop some names. I see a Michael Schumacher car in your your care at times. I see just all kinds of phenomenal historic cars as well as modern race cars. So uh, he's not sitting back gardening anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he, he hasn't retired on the back porch?
3: No. Nah. No. Uh,
4: <laughs> We've actually got Lewis Hamilton's championship winning McLaren. Correct me if I'm wrong, 2007. Is that right?
0: I think that's right. That
4: right? Yeah. That's that's coming into our shop. Um, we're, we're not really doing anything to it. We're just helping handle it on. But, you know, nice bit of history coming through through the shop in, in Austin.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, Dave's one of the owners at Esses Racing. So, yeah, you can look them up. Uh, well, Dave, when we before we went to break, I promised everybody that we would talk about what you used to do to, to get the car ready and what, whatever, you know, whatever the team did to get ready to come to Suzuka Uh, because I know it's just such a special place. So talk about that, would you?
4: Yeah. So this, um, you know, I guess on the, on the car side of things, which people are probably more interested in this, um, it's a high speed circuit. Um, and one of the things you, you know, you'd be looking to do is trim off, Trim off the car to to gain the speed down the straights, but also, of course, when you come to the corners, you need to um, you need to have the downforce there prior to the corner before you turn in. Um, so there's you know the car is trimmed off. I wouldn't say it's Monza spec, but it certainly you know has a lot trimmed off it for the um, high speed corners, which um, you know you need to generate a reasonable amount of downforce, but also you need to be reasonably slippery around there as well. Um, and then another place, you know, you'd be doing a lot of testing, uh, simulation-wise, really, would be the tyres. Um, you've got the two, um, two big fast corners, which is Turn 1 and then the um, 100R, and the car's loaded right up there. So there's areas that you need to um, accommodate uh, to hold the car up so you're not sort of Rolling the tires over and creating any understeer or oversteer in and out of the corner, and again under braking, huge huge braking zones coming up to the the famous chicane where uh, there was a few championships won and lost (laughs) twice, I think, uh, with Senna and Prost. Um, And those those are the areas you'd be looking to gain. You know where where you want the margins, which is the high speed um, downforce, and then of course. you're coming from great speeds down to pretty much 60 miles an hour to be able to get through the chicanes. So those are the areas that the teams would have been looking at to bring um, development to, to this track in particular. Um, and then when it comes to the team side of things, um, the weather plays a huge part um, in, in this race. Um, as I said before, it's kind of typhoon season. Um, so anything that will get wet, that can get wet, does get wet. Um, And that goes from the kitchens. I remember the first year I went there with Jordan at the back of the pits, there was small kitchens and the kitchens used to get flooded from the rain. It was just, uh, you know, get on with it type thing. But now the teams have grown so much over the years. um, The area has changed a little bit, but when you get the rain, you get the wind as well Um, and that kind of blows it in the door. So when you build the garage, strangely enough, the garage doors never really get shut from Wednesday through to Sunday night um, because you build this sort of facade at the front of the garage and they call it the horseshoe and you have both of the cars sitting in the garage. So this area the fans, they hate uh,
0: that by the way, because they, that blocks all of our view. Blocks. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Um, But, you know, you never really shut the front. The back does get shut up. So you 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 um you pull the garage. They call it garage boarding, which is you know one two meters by one meter, or you know yard by two yards, if you like. Um, and that goes through out to the back of the the paddock. Um, so that area can stay reasonably dry. But of course, um, when the wind and rain does start, um, you literally have to cover everything up. So it's one of the races where you take more covers and tarpaulins to be able to keep all the electrical equipment dry um, during the storms um, so that you've got the pit wall. Um, and again, you know, the pit wall houses six six members of staff um, and you have probably have eight or nine computers in the bottom of it. Um, and then you have a server centre at the side. So when you do get power outages, um, you have a UPS system in there which carries on running the system for you know probably 15 minutes until the power gets back on so mainly kind of weather weather related precautions are taken um for this this event and of course you um you probably see the most uh, you know unexpensive expensive um radio covers when it rains they normally get zippy bags you know you put your chicken nuggets in or whatever when you finish (laughs) dinner. They normally get rammed over the radios um, upside down um, because, you know, once the radios die, you you lose all communication. So um, those are the areas. And then the car as well. Um, Going back to the car, um, a lot of the electrical boxes will have um, certain amounts of O-rings that seal them, you know, so they're kind of water resistant, if you like, rather than waterproof. Um, and they're they're kind of strategically placed as well so you don't have water uh, at them all the time um so those those are the things and then of course when the weather's good in japan it's very very hot as well it's you know sort of southern atmosphere uh, hemisphere so you have um you have a huge amount of um heat for a low temperature if that makes sense so you know somewhere like new zealand or australia it could be um you know 25 degrees but it might feel like in the states would be you know 100 degrees the way the sun gets in so you have cooling issues as well um which uh, play a big part in um, in a, being able to run the car at the correct temperatures without overheating or running it too cool
0: yeah all that all that moisture in the air holds that that temperature doesn't it holds it in there and makes it it makes it harder to dissipate i would imagine
4: yes yeah very hard. So, um, those are the, uh, those are the areas. And then of course, you know, we all, we're all fussy eaters. Um, not, <laughs> not really me, but you know, the majority of the team. So, um, a lot of the food is, is taken care of prior to, um, all the dry food, you know, pasta, cereals and all that sort of stuff that gets shipped out, um, in the sea freight. Um, so six weeks uh, ahead of time. Um, and then, um, you know, people that are fussy eaters or whatever um, within the team would have have that that side of the food catered for them. But of course, you know, if you like sushi or anything special like that, um, all you all you want to do is for the mechanics to hurry up and finish the car so you can go out and try you know sushi and all the <laughs> all the special foods um, that are in the town for you. Um, and of course, the sake as well is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah,
3: Mm.
0: yeah. Or, or if you want (laughs) to make it to the airport restrooms, according to Yuki Tsunoda, that's the that is the highlight of the. uh, Oh my gosh! (laughs) I don't know if you heard that. Oh yeah, I forgot about that.
4: Yeah, all the all the tunes the toilets play or restrooms play. Um, (laughs) But one of the most fun things was you know after the after the Grand Prix they used to have these uh, wooden cabins and um, I, I remember a couple of times when I was working at Jordan Schumacher had won the championship there and uh, the cabins were just full of people you know cans of beer everywhere people laughing and joking and you know celebrating as it was the end of the year but what one of the fascinating bits is the bullet train you know yeah I, i've lived in uh, the uk a lot of my life and you know if you want to train at 12 30 get there at 12 50 and it will be on its way shortly <laughs> whereas in japan the bullet train turns up at 12 30 it's actually coming in to stop at 12 30 29 and the doors open at 12.30, you get in and go. It's just absolutely fascinating how how this country has nailed timing. It's um,
0: utter perfection, you know? It doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, that's what I think of when I think of the Japanese culture like that, that precision and, and tradition and all that. Well, well guys, I wanna talk about the race some more. We touched on the beginning and, and uh, I think basically where we left off was what was about to happen with this tractor. So Gasly as I said before he ran into basically a little one of those billboards you see around the track so it's probably made out of either heavy cardboard or or something a little plastic or something Styrofoam Oh, it's styrofoam. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So he had that hooked on the front of his car so he went all the way around into the garage. He got that off, got a new nose put on. But in the meantime, the other the cars were following the safety car around the track, right? So Gasly has he's now behind. So he jumps on. He's, he's got his new nose. He he um he jumps out on the track and he and he's going fast. And he starts trying to catch up with the crowd. And the spray, virtually the entire race until the last you know half hour or so, the spray was just incredibly bad. The the visibility. I did a bunch of onboards on F1 TV, and it was you couldn't see anything. It was just basically like you were in the thickest fog you can imagine. You couldn't see anything. You could see brake lights ahead. So Gazzy's coming around and he's going, at this point, he's going about 125 miles an hour. And if you watch carefully, if you do watch the replay, you can see the red light come on in the upper left-hand corner of the screen and you can see the red light go on in his dash. And less than two seconds later, i ran it multiple times and it was like between one and a half and two seconds appears in the left-hand side of the road on the racing line was a tractor that was there to haul off Carlos Sainz. And he blows by that at 125 miles an hour. And of course, jumps on the radio and starts, you know, dropping F-bombs and getting completely upset about it, which rightfully so. Uh, There was there's there's no way in my mind that that scenario should have happened. He ended up getting a penalty. He got um he got a uh, 20 seconds added to his race time and two penalty points because he was driving too quickly under red flag conditions, but he literally saw that red flag and at that same moment saw the tractor. So the stewards accepted that mitigating factor of shock of seeing a truck just before he sees that that red, the red light come on on his on his steering wheel and on the, on the track. So it, it was a very it instantly everybody watching that, myself included, thought of Jules Bianchi, twenty fourteen, because, you know, we know we all know how he died after having a, a crash with a tractor like that. So and this was and back then it was pre um, uh, Halo. So it was it was a very very scary moment. And Dave, I, I want to talk to you about this whole situation because there is—we've seen tractors on track plenty of time when you when you got the safety car going because everybody's going slow enough. But even that bothers me. I, I watched a replay. In fact, I think if you're for watching on YouTube, um, we have a clip from someone on Twitter that was just a fan, and they. Um, they have it they have video of everybody passing by that safety car but dave i want to ask your opinion on what do you think that the situation how that how we ended up there and what should be done about it
4: yeah i mean i'm i'm a little bit cold on it because i haven't actually watched it because of working today but the um you know there's lots of there's lots of stops in place since Jules's accident. You know, obviously the halo, uh, the virtual safety car, uh, lights on the dash. Um, there's lots of areas of notification prior to sending a, a truck out. Um, and the bit that kind of worries me, um, I'd, I'd have to watch it again and, and study it, um, but the bit that worries me is that he didn't get Correct me if I'm wrong. He didn't get the notification from the uh the team that there was a vehicle on the circuit now when you listen into race control uh you're normally told that there's going to be a vehicle on the circuit tell your driver even when you you shouldn't have to be told that because the virtual safety car or the safety car would throw up any of those incidents so it's like he would have been he should have been told uh, vehicle on the circuit at turn whatever it was um, and the team managers have in front of them uh, every, every channel you can think of. So, you know, when I was doing it, there's probably lots more, but I had 30 channels at once I listened to, um, which, have been, which would have been all the teams. So you would have picked up the talk from the other teams to say, there's a vehicle on the circuit, be careful, it's a turn seven. Um, You also would have been in direct comms with um, the race director who would be telling you that um, there's a vehicle on the circuit. Be careful.
0: Isn't that the most, uh, I mean, the most urgent message that you could have, right? Is there's a, there's a tractor on the circuit. There's a vehicle on the circuit. That's not a race car. And I mean, wouldn't, you wouldn't think, you'd think that would be the most important thing if anybody heard that they would stop everything and tell the driver.
3: But yeah, exactly.
4: You know, and that's what you do. You know, at the end of the day, racing's great, but safety's better. You know, and um, the uh, the bit I don't understand is why he wasn't told. Um, which, again, kind of, you know, they're all professional teams. They do it every week, and they do it more than the race directors and whatever. You know, so they have one thing to look after, whereas the teams have got both cars to look after. Um, so the bit for me is, which I don't understand, and again, can't quite comment yet, is why he wasn't told that there was a vehicle on the circuit. Um, and that's, that's the disturbing bit is yeah. we all seen what the end result of uh, having something something on the circuit that's going, you know, 20 times slower than the car. Um, and also where the flags out or the lights out. And again, you know, if the lights are out in the circuit, i.e. yellow lights flashing. Yep. Um, they should have been on the steering wheel as well. And I can't see that in the video. So something something has slipped the net, um, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, well, Dave, it, one
3: question it, on that before we uh, take a breath. But the light on the dash on the steering wheel, who triggers that in that scenario? All
0: right, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, Dave O'Neill will give us that inside scoop because he knows the answer to that. You're listening to Speed City, your Sunday night with Speed City. Back after these messages. Hey, guys. We are very excited to welcome our new sponsor, All Stop Brewery, to Speed City. These guys make a fantastic beer. And I'm going to let Jonathan talk about it, but I'm going to tell you about it when I tasted it. I am not a big beer aficionado, I like a nice cold beer, but I'm always worried about a craft beer or a new beer that it's going to have a funky taste, especially aftertaste. This beer was fantastic. I have absolutely no... Uh, No qualms at all that this is my new favorite beer. But, Jonathan, you know why? What makes it so special, the water and the recipe? Well, yeah. I mean, these
5: guys have done their research and do it right, and they've even imported the right water to do it right. I mean, I tell you, this Allstad beer, fantastic. And I'm, uh, you know, most Europeans are snobs about their beer. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm definitely one of those. because You're definitely a snob? Yes, okay. about my beer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because there's no question, carbonation has always been my issue here in the States. It's overcarbonated. And our lagers, our pilsners and lagers in Europe, um, uh, especially German ones, are not that heavily carbonated. And that's a, a key thing. And that's the first thing. That uh hit me was just how well they've done the beer. Uh, it's based out of Fredericksburg. It's uh it's it's beautiful. Got a great tie-in because obviously Fredericksburg, a
0: German town,
5: and now they've got a Texas German beer, and it's cracking.
0: Yeah. And the uh the facility out there, it's amazing. They've they've really done it right. It's really fantastic. So so check it out. You can get it at all the local H E and everything else, right? Yep. Uh, it's around all around Texas. You can get it. Uh they sell it in uh Uh, on on the
5: shelf there as a Texas beer, but uh, I'll tell you what, you're right back in Germany when you drink it.
0: And it's altstotbeer, A-L-T-S-T-A-D-T, beer.com. Altstotbeer, A-L-T-S-T-A-D-T, beer.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.
1: Hello to everyone. This is
0: Gunter Steiner. This is Speed City.
3: Welcome back
0: to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back. When we went to break, Les had just asked Dave O'Neill about the uh, the lights we we're talking about on the steering wheel, and I uh, I thought that was automated. But Dave, what's the what's the real answer?
4: Yep, it is, and it goes through goes through the FIA. So it was a. Um, a tag system that was originally designed but it's an it's, it's part of the f1 marshalling system it's called um and as soon as uh as soon as the the uh, light happens uh, it comes up on the on the steering wheel so the driver the driver should know so by that. the sounds of it that wasn't pushed for all the drivers to see
0: i saw it i was watching that purposely i watched the light on the track and then i watched the light on the dash and they literally were simultaneous which i, was, I thought was pretty amazing that there's no uh there's no lag or no um latency or anything it was like instantaneous as soon as the light was on on the track it was on the the steering wheel which i guess you really have to eliminate latency for safety there but uh sure. we have so a couple
3: let's dig a little bit deeper into that yeah. so is that an FIA person or is that someone that is with the track itself, there at Suzuka that knows the track inside and out. Well, the, the lights. Uh, so the lights are put up by the by the FIA. So um,
4: there, there was literally one set of lights that got flown around uh, a few years ago. Now all the all the circuits have started buying the system and and putting the um, the infrastructure in place to be able to run the uh, the automated system. So it's an FIA system. Um, and when I was doing it, it was it, the button was pushed um, to send the message to the drivers, but you know, it, I'm kind of a year out, so th- there's a good chance. It could be fully automated at this point, but,
0: you know, Um, uh, yeah. uh, so right after that, so right after Gasly passes the tractor going 125, he slowed down. He apparently sped back up and hit 155 miles an hour on the back straight before returning the pit lane, which obviously he got called to the stewards and had the, the penalty, the 22nd penalty and the two points. So uh that was, that was crazy. And it is going to be interesting to see what comes of this, because there were several points made by, by people that were bringing up people were immediately, you know, we had a lot of time after this because the race was red flagged for a long time. And for almost 2 hours I think it was I'll, I'll look at my notes but so people were had a time to look it up and they were everybody was digging into what was said after the, the Jules Bianchi death in the similar situation and there was all this talk of how that that we would do all these things to prevent this from happening and clearly we didn't because we got to this point and and it is definitely an edge case the visibility i feel like was played such a giant part of this because Gasly couldn't see at all before he got up on top of that tractor. I mean, you couldn't see anything. It was really crazy. So, but, but after that, um, he, uh, we ended up going to red flag and, and, and sat around for about 45 minutes and then race control was going to restart the rain, uh, restart the race, (laughs) but the rain restarted instead. And so we had to wait even longer And, um, and finally after, you know, we, with at that point we knew this was going to be a timed race. We're going to hit the three hour limit, right? So we knew we had to be done in three hours and with 39 minutes and 50 seconds, we finally went back to, um, to racing. And, and that was pretty crazy too, because at that point we had uh, we had everybody on the inters, right? excuse me, everybody on the wets. That was mandated. So everybody on the wets. And then immediately when we start the race, Vettel and Latifi pit straight for intermediate tires. So, and and then as we move through it, like, I think it was Lando Norris and Botas were the next to go in through. And, and at, at, at that point, Alonzo was leading the race. And then Mick Schumacher was leading the race. Dave, you're your old team had someone leading the race. Now, I'll warn you, I think it was for about three seconds before Verstappen passed him. But, but yeah, make sure was leading.
4: It, checkbox. Yeah. It, it, prob- it probably didn't count because it wasn't a lap.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's probably true. It counted <laughs> too. Just, just,
4: sorry, John, just to go back to the incident with the truck yeah. is that um, the bit for me is. You know, probably understanding where the breakdown in communication came because the FIA run the event or run the race, but the 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 circuit run the emergency vehicles. Strangely enough, so there there would have had to be a communication that went to the circuit to say release the vehicle, and of course they don't have a vehicle. All the vehicles are on the pit straight and have to do a lap, so they Strategically placed around the circuit, so someone would have got a signal or a um, you know an order to to go onto the circuit, um, right or wrongly, um, but they did. But um, that's probably where the breakdown in communication went. You know, they might have said, you know, when we put the safety car out, we would like the recovery vehicle to go out, and that might have been misstrewed with go out. You know, so I, it, it could have been anything, but certainly you'll probably find if you ever see the report um, that there was a breakdown in communication between the FIA and also the circuit for the emergency vehicles, apart from the, the the only two cars that are, or two vehicles that are instructed by the FIA or the safety car and the medical car. Those are the only two that the uh, FIA look after.
0: Yeah. And you know what dave during the race last night we went uh we went over an hour before we saw any footage of the tractor uh, or any of that situation on the television broadcast it was immediately coming across on social media and i say immediately it was within 15 20 minutes but but so we were all going are they are they avoiding talking about it and i i I feel like there was a lot of that discussion but it was it was pretty interesting to see that we couldn't get any of that information officially on the uh on f1 tv or sky which is the same broadcast but you couldn't get any of that information but but then when we went back racing again that the spray was really crazy i mean you, the, the visibility i was switching over i switched over to um to a couple different ones and it was funny the further up the the uh the grid you you went you could definitely get better but but towards the back where I started with K-Mag, it was really, really bad. And by the way, Magnuson, uh, Dave, you'll be happy to know, he looked really good during that rain. Alonso did, of course, like he always does. Magnuson, I know he passed Stroll, and, and I think he passed Botas. And that was early after the restart, and it was just a mess. Has he always been great in the rain, Dave?
4: Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's the... Uh... That part of the world, the car control is is pretty good, you know, with uh, yeah. pretty close to the Scandinavian countries. But yeah, he's um, you know, his father particularly was good in the rain, um, in Formula Ford when I when I was there. Um, but Magnussen, yeah, K. Mag, he he he's pretty special in those conditions.
0: Yeah, we were talking about Kevin Magnuson in the pre-show because we're talking about the driver situation right now, and where I'm just still flabbergasted about what Ricardo, you know, he seems to be okay with not being on the grid. And uh, we're going to talk about that in this next segment. But, um, but anyway, as far as, as far as the race goes at that point, um, we ended up finishing the race with Verstappen in the lead. And, but right behind him, right at the end of the race, Leclerc and Uh, Perez were going at it hard. It was a great battle. Perez was in third behind him and just, I mean, they were wheel to wheel at points. And then Leclerc went straight through uh, a turn and came back on the track straight, you know, basically cut the corner. And at that point, clearly, you know, he had violated the rules. And uh, and this was literally just a, a turn or two before the very end of the race. In fact, the television coverage was focusing so much on that we did not see Max cross the line and win the championship. I thought that was an interesting take. I was like, well, wait a minute. Did Are we doing another lap? Because he had already passed the start and finish, but they announced it quickly. But he, But we didn't know at that point, actually. In fact, the entire broadcast, we didn't know. We thought that this was not for the championship because we didn't think that this was going to give us full points because we knew that this was not a complete race. We only got x number of laps where we you know we, we and but it turns out we had crossed the 50 50 threshold right before that but guys we got to get another quick break in and when we come back we will talk about the end of the race and all those rules that took place and we'll do a little silly season talk and talk about those final two seats in formula one you listen to sunday night with speed city back after this
5: to know where the path to Formula One and in Indy begins, it's three simple letters VRD. VRD Racing of Atlanta, Georgia are dedicated to nurturing young, single-seater drivers on their quest to the pinnacle of motorsport. Having just wrapped up the team's championship title in 2021 in the F4 US Championship, they also have programs in FR Americas, the all-new USF Juniors, and the Road to Indy. VRD is the perfect environment for success. To join the team, drop them a DM on Instagram at velocity underscore rd.
1: Hi, this is Jay Leno from JayLeno'sGarage.com, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in
0: radio, Speed City. Yeah, you know, guys, it was not really a good look for Formula 1 and and, uh, FIA yesterday because clearly the tractor issue, but the fact that we were under the impression, everybody watching this race, I was tweeting out, hey, nope come to Austin, make sure it's going to be exciting because we're going to get to see Max get crowned champion here because I didn't think there was any way for him to do this if, you know, if the way it looked that Leclerc was going to finish in second. And um, and so we get to the end and Max crosses the line and then Leclerc and, and Perez, and they go to Park for May, they get out of the cars, they're doing the interviews. And at this point, they interview Max Verstappen and congratulations on winning the race. Are you looking forward to Austin, where you can go win the championship? And so they they go to um, they, but that at this time they had figured out that Perez um, was was going to be uh, finishing second. So I think Perez was was being interviewed, or no, actually it was still Leclerc at that point. It was still Leclerc. So th- there's a message that flashes up on the top of the screen, and it says five second penalty. And everybody realized and then people start whispering to max and max basically kind of looks at the at johnny Herberts, saying, well i guess i'm the champion now it was incredibly awkward <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wait what <laughs> max get back in here <laughs> yeah and it's like give give max the microphone back it was really it was kind of a clown show i i hate to use that stronger word but it was pretty bad it really was you know there were so many things that
3: happened you know all day their race and then uh you know the, the whole extent you know going off course to the benefit in the last two or three turns and then deciding the penalty on that it impacted the finish of the race impacted the points changed it, and that's how it all snowballed so quickly and that's how it got to that point but i think you know you were on point when you talked about they they even seemed to be uh disagreements about how many points the winner was going to get if they completed this number of laps and so i I kind of feel like you know sometimes maybe we shoot ourselves in the foot for the for our complicated sport over it
0: Mm, yeah and you know what producer is showing some of the tweets i really want to talk about a couple of those because they were they were some strong words from the drivers especially the first one i saw last night was lando norris and lando said let me click that link he said uh WTF, how did this happen? We lost a life in this situation years ago. We risk our lives, especially in conditions like this. We want a race, but this is unacceptable. That was Lando. And um, uh, Pierre Gasly, of course. Um, Gasly says, glad to go home safe tonight for the respect of Jules, all his family, and for our safety and the one of the marshals. There should never be any tractor or marshals on track in such conditions with such poor visibility. Yeah, I think that's what I was talking about earlier. I think that's the key, right? That, that visibility was just miserable. And Yeah. Uh,
3: I go back to questioning. I, you know, I'm the biggest advocate for racing in the rain. But honestly, one of the things that has come up is the aerodynamic and the technology of our rain tires that are out there now, they move so much water and they aerate it and they get it up in the air again You know, as they get it off the course. I'm beginning to backpedal a little bit of reevaluating at what point there's so much water in the air that it kills the visibility for the drivers. And now it's, it's a different take. It's not that they're not capable of driving at that speed and confident. It's the visibility that uh, we now look at. So, um, I kind of got that question mark out there.
0: Dave, I want to ask you this because what Les was talking about just right before you know they went around the track behind the safety car for what five six laps something like that. before they went back to racing at the end there i mean what do you think dave what uh, do you have a, a solution to that visibility issue i mean or i don't really know how you do that
4: well i think the you know the visibility is much better than it used to be they have the rain lights now at the back they used to have one rain light now they've got three um the tires, I guess they could work on the tires a little bit to uh, to throw the air up a little bit more, um, and possibly the bodywork as well. Um, but you know, it's Formula One's best drivers in the world, and um, they used to race in the in the rain. Now we're kind of backing it off, um, and then waiting until the rain stops, um, and then the extreme wets are no re- not really good once the rain stops, um, and then you you have you have to put the intermediates on. So, I don't know, it's difficult. Um, you know, some of the circuits gather a huge amount of water um, in certain areas. And, you know, that's where the danger is, is the aqua painting, where when the cars go off. I don't think any of these drivers mind r- racing in the rain um, as long as the, the there isn't standing water. And that, that's the biggest object and the danger, most dangerous bit is the standing water. If you're driving down the freeway, or the motorway and you hit a puddle, um, it's, it's probably 10 times worse for an F1 car because you don't have the suspension and, um, the tires are are so much fatter than your, your street car where they're thinner and they cut through the water more. So, um, I don't know, it's difficult. And again, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, hard to come up with a solution when you have the problems that you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Hey, good point from Mike Bowles on, uh, on YouTube, we got some good comments here. Dixon says Johnny Herbert casually tossing it out there, ha. Uh, but Dixon, um, and Dixon says it felt like a cheesy sitcom where it was a laugh track. But Mike Bowles said, So that would be two strange endings for Max Verstappen, and yeah, he's absolutely right. There's a lot of discussion about that. Clearly, last year with the incident with um, Michael Massey and all that, and I mean, almost, and a lot of people still say that's an asterisk, but this year. Uh, I mean, obviously, it was inevitable that Max was going to win this, so it's a little different, but it was strange. Two strange championships for Max. That's not the way he Still help it, by the race know. directors. What's that?
4: I say it's still helped by the race directors.
0: Yeah. Good <laughs> point. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Should get that story going. You know, that's definitely got legs. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know. I, I definitely, I'm glad that it was not controversial. I mean, because we know Max is going to win it, but but still, that was kind of weird. Hey, Les, I saw something I thought of you during the race broadcast. I rewatched it last, I mean, the last night's race. I watched it this this afternoon, and I saw a graphic that I don't know if you caught, and it was fastest pit stop of 2022. Who do you think it was and how fast? You know, I love this, Les. Oh, my
3: gosh. I I'm going to lean towards Red Bull. Yes, you got that O's right. Are.
0: Oh gosh, what do you think? Uh, two two? Nope, that's what I thought too. Two point oh nine. Wow. I was thinking that was it. Round fifteen to the Netherlands, and I was thinking that we hadn't got down that low because you know what they get. I know they got one point nine or something, but I saw that and I just put that in my notes because I knew you would enjoy that. Nice. That's amazing. Uh, but um, all right, let's talk a little silly season. We just got a few. Actually, we just got a couple minutes left. I want to talk about Daniel Ricardo. I think. I said it a week ago after Singapore, or actually before Singapore, I was like, he looks like he's at peace. He's back to his old self. He's joking and laughing again. And I thought he's made a decision. Well, I I think he has kind of resolved, and maybe is a better word for it, that he's not going to be on the grid. He did say though, talking about, you know, the, the Nick DeVries to AlphaTauri and Gazi to Alpine, Alpine that, 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 um, Said, I guess I'm done with all that. But, Dave, what do you think about no chance of him going to Haas? It doesn't sound like there is. Um,
4: who I, I don't know. He seems pretty pretty relaxed about not, not having a drive, which, I don't know, probably read into a little bit. Uh, he's a great driver. Um, he obviously struggled with, with the car, but, you know, like you say, there's fire back in his belly. And he's, uh, you know, he's right behind Lando. Um, I think it, it would be a shame for the, for the sport not to have him in it, honestly. Yeah. Um, and maybe, you know, something we don't, you know, maybe 2024 20, is sorted and he's just got to bite his tongue and get on with the, the
3: position he's in currently. Well, Dave, so a little while back, we were talking about it and I said, okay, you know, Gene and Gunther, here's your chance to get Daniel Ricardo for a garage sale price just yeah. <laughs> just keep him on the grid. It, how likely do you think that would happen? Well, I think it all comes probably not down to
4: the finances anymore, as um, you know, the the, the business or sort of certainly has to, looks like it's in in a good financial state. Um I, I guess the, the the bit we don't know is what's written into his contract. You know, if he's getting his twenty three million for sitting the year out and he takes a drive for three million, does he throw away twenty, you know. So um I'm I'm not quite sure on on that side of things, but he, he's for sure. I know um is certainly a fan of Hulkenberg, um, but he's you know he's been out of a car for quite some time. You you would have thought uh Ricciardo was uh was prime candidate for uh, a, yeah. a race winner, you know, one of the yeah. first race winners in the in the Haas uh has team.
0: Yeah, I would take Ricardo over Hulkenberg. I'm not, not you know, instantly, but I, I think so. I feel like that uh, Ricardo's got his mojo back. Well, guys, we are out of time. We that snuck up on me, but wow. uh, but uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. And if you tuned in on the radio, thank you, or on Facebook or YouTube, we appreciate it. Um, next Sunday we'll be back here on your Sunday night with Speed City. So tune in then and watch our social media and all that. We'll keep up to date. And uh, on Wednesdays, Chris Medlin and I do a show on a national network. Go to our website, Speed City Broadcast, to find out all about that. All right, talk to you guys next Sunday. Ciao, y'all.
4: Ciao.